it's surprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest escapes these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And I'm so excited to talk about Paper Trails Greeting Company. I love this company. First and foremost, it's a small business owned and operated by a dedicated amateur runner, actually someone who listens to this show. Big fan of them. Uh, big fan of her, I should say. He started this business this summer, and she's just done incredible work. There's over 35 different cards, all running focused. These are things. Send in the mail. You know you get plenty of email, plenty of text. A handwritten note really goes a long way. I got a number of these because I was so excited, and I got these a month ago before they even sponsored the show. Uh, these are things I was just excited about. So I got a couple in my hand right here. I got one that says, behind you every step of the way. Literally, you're so fast. I love that one. What we got here? We got, take a look back now. I'm sorry. Take a look back at all you've overcome. Now look ahead. That mountain you see doesn't even stand a chance. Again, these are all running focused. Last one, can't nobody stop you. Wait a second. That's a double negative. Maybe I should say, can't anybody stop you? Or no, can't nobody stop you? No, shit, you're just unstoppable. That's it. I love this stuff. There are so many. These are just a, a couple that I love. They're, again, there's over 35 on there. They're all gray. They all have different categories and things you can go with. I'm just such a huge fan of everything Kristen's doing over there. And I know that you will be too. So go over to Paper Trails Greeting Co. That's Paper Trails Greeting so paper trails greeting co.com. You can also follow them on Instagram on the same handle that I just read and use code rambling to save 15% on every order. That's it. Rambling 15% every order. Go check them out today. So today's episode is with Danielle Turkbly. I couldn't wait to talk to Danielle because she is an incredible runner. An absolutely fantastic yogi. Uh, she marries the two very well. And I know a lot of people are interested in that topic. We talk a lot about that. She's also somebody who really doesn't have the extensive running background for someone that you would expect who was kind of really on the cusp of getting an OTQ this past year. Uh, she ran one year in high school, zero years in college. And as you'll hear in this episode, she battled a, uh, a crippling uh, eating disorder, bounced back, and now is a full-throated advocate for a holistic body health in so many ways. And this, this conversation could have gone actually a lot longer than it did. There were topics that I couldn't wait to get to that we didn't touch on. But that always, whenever that happens, it always is a great sign for the, the quality of the podcast and certainly the quality of the guest. And as you'll hear, Danielle is a rock star. So let's get into it with Danielle Turkply. Hello, Danielle, and welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Danielle, I'm so excited to chat. First of all, before we get into it, you have three rambunctious boys. You're talking to me. This is this has got to be pretty close to bedtime. How did you get away? I mean, I got I to gotta know because, <laughs> you know, this time of night, I, you told me like you were free at this time. I was like, wow, I'm surprised. Like, I know I know what this time means in her household. I know. Well, I played the wife card. I gave my husband that look that all husbands know. And <laughs> he actually is the most supportive human being in the world. He knows how involved I am in the running community. So the moment that I get to talk about it, he's like, go. I've got it. Go. I love it. See, I can't even like mess around with like bedtime-ish recording. Because it doesn't even matter who's like putting the kids to bed. It's just so darn loud in the house. Like that there's just 
no way. Like, it's just, I don't even, like, broach the subject. Because my wife and I, I tell telling you this offline, we basically alternate nights. So, like, one night I'll put the kids to bed and you know, read them the stories and whatever, and the next night she'll do it. So, like, even if it's, like, a night where I'm not doing it, it's like, no way am I going to try to record. It's just going to be a hassle. These kids are going to be going nuts. It's just the way it goes. Um, and I've seen you with your kids. They're super active. I can't even believe it. I'm expecting them to like bust into the room at any moment. <laughs> well, we have a house that we bought specifically for in-laws because we live away from all family, like hundreds of miles away from everybody. So we bought a house with an in-law suite. So it's got a door. It's got a padlock. <laughs> not really, but oh, look we're at not you. doors you got locked. The setup. Yeah. Yeah. I, I live pretty good. So, yeah. So do you guys ever, besides podcast recording you know, sessions... Do you guys ever just like, I need to go over there just for my own mental health? Oh, man, I wish, but they can always suss me out. The only time my kids ever respect the sanctity of this room with me in it is when I was teaching virtually for yoga classes. And that was like the only time. But I did have like a guest appearance once in a while by Finn, my three-year-old. And people are so gracious. They didn't mind. But I, yeah, it's... I don't. We don't get to sneak off. We try and then we pass out before it even happens. So <laughs> it's just, it's an elusive thought at this point in time. So we have so many things to talk about. You're doing so many cool things. I told you this just now, actually. You did not know this, but you were one of the people that I was strongly considering uh, having on Road to the Olympic Trials last year. Again, not that, not that you would have said yes, but you know, we had um, seven people who were, you know, who getting to the trials was not the goal, right? Their goal was to perform very well at the trials. And then we had Steph, Dr. Stephanie Flippin, whose goal was to make the trials, which was kind of like a nice thing to have in the group uh, and really added to the roster in terms of the kinds of stories that we were telling. And for me, if Stephanie had said no, I was going to, you know, I was going to go with you because I know you were in a very similar boat with Stephanie who had very similar times and you were just like her hoping to get to the trials. You, you know, and you know, I definitely want to talk about that today. Um, you are, you know, as you just mentioned, you're a yoga teacher and I can't wait to talk to you about that. You just finished Run Destober, which did. is a remarkable <laughs> achievement. Um, and I can't wait to talk about that yeah. before we get into all of it. I think I want to talk about also just the home life stuff because that kind of undergirds all of this. You told me just a couple minutes ago what your husband's work schedule is. So now that kind of sets the stage for like these wild times that I see you run. My times, I don't mean like running times. I mean like times of day when you are running. So just from a scheduling perspective, what's it like for you scheduling runs with the three boys and with the husband whose hours are pretty atypical, I would say, for, for most families. Yeah. Um, it's kind of grab them when you can get them. It's It's been this way ever since probably my middle son was little because I wasn't as into running when Bodie, my oldest, was a little guy. So they've all been stroller trained from day one. As soon as their head was like stable enough, I had them in their stroller and we were out and going. Um, so I used to structure it around nap times. Now with like run dust over, it was set my alarm at four and just get up and do it. Like that's, that's the only way I could get those miles in. And then my boys are so sweet. Like I have a bouncy house that I have set up in the basement and I'd inflate that and they just go bananas for an hour while I finished up my miles. Right. Cause you're, you're rocking in on the treadmill. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I wish I could run outside more, but for me with Finn being three and just so active, there's no way I could keep him calm in a stroller. And it's not even fun. At that point, you're just fighting the mentality of a three-year-old who has a mentality of a squirrel. Like they just, their attention span does not last more than 30 seconds. So it's not fun. And I wanted to make it as fun as possible. So what time does your husband leave for work? Um, well, anywhere between five and five thirty is a pretty standard day. And it's been like that for the last 10 years. So it's just something I've been conditioned, conditioned to do. (laughs) Yeah. So obviously his mornings are are pretty wild as well. Certainly far different than yours, but you know, just leaving at five 30 obviously means that you're doing a lot before that time. Um, which obviously sets the stage for the fact that you're on the treadmill, you're running, he's leaving, what time are the kids usually waking up? Oh, I'm so lucky. I'm sure a lot of parents are going to hate me when I say this, but I have kids that sleep in until like 8, 8.30. So what? yeah, they won't even know what? I'm, yeah, they won't even know I ran. Well, I shouldn't say that. So Trout, my middle son, who's like a carbon copy of me, he, the moment he senses me go down in the basement, I've got maybe 40, 45 minutes before he comes down. And then he just lays there and stares at me, which is kind of awkward, but I've learned to love it. And then Finn and Bodie just pass out. They're good. They sleep. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm <laughs> gobsmacked right now. 8.30. My son has never – if he's never been asleep at 8.30 a.m., it's because it was like his first <laughs> nap of the day. Yeah. Never mind, like, sleeping through the night. So, um, again, no judgment here, but, like – what time are they going to bed? Like, is this like they, they just, you have like a late household and they just sleep late and, or whatever. What, how, how does that work? Uh, so I'd like to have some witty comment. Like we, you know, slip them a little something, but really they go to bed. I think pretty standard for homeschooling kids. So aside from all this, I homeschool and I have for the last well six or seven years. And, um, Bodie, goes to bed around 8, 8.30. Same thing with Trout. Trout's our golden child about sleep. You tell him to go to sleep, 30 seconds later, he's asleep. Finn, again, I'm like the poster child of what not to do with parenting, but he sleeps in bed with us and he passes out at like 8, 8.15. So they go to bed relatively early. So are you, are you asleep at that time too? Or is he like, is he in your bed and then like you meander up there later? So we we usually go to bed when the kids go to bed. It's our chance to just like hunker down as a family because we do really miss a lot of time with Ryan. And Ryan likes to rile the boys up. My husband is like Disneyland dad. He comes home and the boys want a rough house and then their adrenaline's going. So I try to usher them all towards the bedroom. We read or we let them, you know, just hang out for a little bit quietly, which never works out. And then, yeah, we just stack the pillows in front of Finn and him and Ryan and I try to like watch something together, do something. I don't know. We're not very good at being couples right now or a couple, but I think it's just something we've kind of accepted with a three-year-old. Got, oh, so he's like on one end. Yeah. So I, I, I guess I vision him in the middle. Like, like I vision like, cause he's thinking of my own like nighttime routine, which is like, <laughs> I go to sleep like way later than my kids. And I shouldn't. I should go to bed like pretty much at the same time, considering like the time we're all waking up too. Um, like the, I imagine him like in the middle, and you guys like coming upstairs, being like, "Ugh," and then like getting on each side of him or whatever. Um, not that it matters, but it's so funny how you have like you're setting up these barricades. Yeah. Oh no. Well, 
I mean, no, he does actually fall asleep in between us. So like Ryan and I, we always like touch toes at the end, like, hey, good job, you know, teamwork. And then we'll both pass out because we're exhausted. But yeah, we'll like stack the pillows so we can watch some Netflix Oh, show so you're or... stacking them behind you. Yeah. Okay, I envision like this like <laughs> yeah. Great Wall of China between like Finn <laughs> Stack of pillows, you and your husband. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's ingenious. What I, when you first said it, <laughs> a smart couple would do that, but we're like. But oh, knowing no. kids, especially a rambunctious <laughs> one, he'd just view that as like a challenge. He a would. challenge accepted. I will climb that wall. He would, and he does. Yeah, he does. Oh, that's wonderful. All right, so let, let let's get all right. Let's get into it. You, so you have done some wild things this year. You had huge goals at the beginning of the year. You had a huge goal for October as well. You know, you're seeing that you're, you're a yoga teacher. You're teaching your kids at home. You got a lot of stuff going on. You're also an incredible athlete. So let's go back in time. Like when did it click for you that, you know, running was more than just exercise was something that you could really excel at? Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, I I don't really have a good like jumping off point. I mean, I never ran growing up other than necessity. Like I was a soccer player, did all sorts of sports. Um, the one time I ran cross country was my senior year. And that was simply because I was tired of soccer politics. I just didn't like the fact that you never felt like you were part of a team. So I jumped onto the cross country team and actually ran with Ladia Albert's Albertson Junkins, I think is her last name now. Um, I don't want to butcher it because I love Atladia, but like I ran with her and we were really good friends. And I went to like fitness classes with her and her mom at the Y in Stillwater, Minnesota. But those girls embraced me. They like brought me into this community that I never had before. And I was actually like somewhat good. I wasn't great. I wasn't running like Ladia or some of the other girls, but I was able to finish in top tier, which was pretty exciting. And then the wheels kind of came off during my end of senior year of high school into college. And I didn't find running again until probably Trout, right after he was was born. That was when I took up my first marathon. So it really wasn't a beautiful story about running and loving it forever and ever. Well, yeah, you're right. Because that is a long time not doing it considering where you are now. Yeah, I mean, you're you're an, an excellent, excellent runner. So, seeing, hearing that that large gap in time. So, you, know, you mentioned that you played soccer in high school, and that that was your thing at first. And you got into cross country for a little bit. When so you were near some really good runners. Did you go to a huge high school? Like obviously to have like you think back now, like your your varsity cross country team. You know, ten fifteen years later, you must look at that and be like, wow, look, we were stacked. Like, do you go to a big high school? Were you guys aware of how good you are? Like, how did you stack up to your peers? What was that situation like? Um, oh, man, I don't know. I actually, we did. I had a class of over 700 students just in my class alone. Stillwater. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, Stillwater High was, Stillwater was a suburb of the Twin Cities. So I grew up in the Twin Cities area or the suburb of um, Twin Cities in Minnesota. Said that a million times. Sorry, but um, yeah, I we had a really good sports program there. We had a lot of promising athletes, um, but I never considered myself part of that group. I definitely had the ambition, but like I said, politics was huge there, and there was a lot of there's a lot of like I don't know behind the scenes things that my family and I weren't necessarily involved in, and I was really shy, and so. 
cross country was kind of like, hey, I just want to do sports for me and ended up feeling more part of a team than I ever did with um, any team sport. So I was just excited to run with those girls and to be part of something. And I had no idea how good I was running. That's so interesting, because especially considering that with running, I guess cross country is harder because every course is so different. And it's not like running on track where you can say, like, hey, I ran the mile in X time. And you're able to say, all right, well, I know how that stacks up against other people. You know, cross country courses can be so different um, unless you're running, say, like in a regional meet where you can say, hey, I beat that person. Or like, hey, I came one second behind this other person, right? I think it's, it is, it can be harder to compare and contrast certain things, especially for someone like you who was new to the scene and you don't have this kind of body of work to say, hey, you know, this is how I, how I fare against some of the other people that I'm, I'm competing against. So when you went to college and you mentioned me, you didn't, you didn't run in college, you went to uh, Montana State and Bozeman. And when you were there coming off an athletic high school career, where you were certainly you know, an athletic person and this was a part of your life. While you didn't compete at Montana State, were you able to stay active? Like, I'm just trying to fill in the gap between <laughs> your second son's born, right? You yeah. Now you have two kids. And now, like, all of a sudden, you're on a path to try to qualify for the Olympic trials. You had one year of running competitively as a youngster. I'm trying to fill in the gap between, like, those two <laughs> periods of time in terms of, like, just you being active. As like a, you know, just an active person. Yeah. So um, I'm not very, well, I am shy. Like it may not come across it. I'm, I'm open to share. I'm a very like willing to share person because I feel like somebody out there is going to need to hear it. So I'm not afraid to say it. Um, But I actually was a big time Alpine racer, like seventh in the state. Um, My dad was my coach. I raced USSA, practiced seven days a week when it was winter. Um. So like, that was my love, like skiing and snow sports was like the center of my universe. Um, but between that and like, because I was really painfully shy, I was also bullied to an extent in high school, um, to the point where I fell into an eating disorder and basically tried to starve myself away from the world. Like I just wanted to disappear. So I had all of these colleges looking at me for alpine skiing and really interested in me and went from this athlete that was on her way to, um, junior Olympics in racing to like lost everything because I couldn't handle pressure, I guess is a really nice way to put it. Um, that, didn't really but that, know. That, that's, that, but you can't, that's, that's giving yourself such a disservice to say it like that. And I'm sorry, I shouldn't jump in, but no, like, it pains okay. me to hear you say that because like to hear someone being bullied and then have their response be like, I couldn't handle the pressure. Like, Oh, Oh, like obviously like, you're the victim in that situation. Yeah. Well, I hate to, I mean, I really like, I don't have any regrets, like no regrets ever. Not even that. And that definitely took a lot out of my family and out of my life and out of relationships that I had with friends and, um, took, took away paths that I could have gone down, but I'm so glad that I I did. But that is why there's such a huge gap because I literally physically couldn't run. Like I remember, I was at the college dorms because my mom was a nurse growing up and she had this like really tough mentality. And I remember her telling me because I should have gone into treatment, um, but I didn't. And she told me, Danielle, you got yourself into this and I know you'll get yourself out or you'll die trying. And I know that might sound harsh and people might be like, oh my God. But she was right. Like there was 
nobody at that point that was going to change me. And there was so much turmoil that I couldn't, I couldn't just escape from it. Like I had to deal with it. And she saw going to treatment and this is not knocking treatment because I think it's a beautiful thing, but she saw it as like, all like putting more on me to like escalate the situation than actually like doing me any good. So I went away to college. It was kind of like, Hey, this is either going to make her or break her. Um, and yeah, I, I remember standing in a soccer field cause I wanted to play co-ed soccer in the dorms and I couldn't physically even pick my leg up. Like that's how weak I was and just being so crushed. Well, you're like, <laughs> you know, standing there and you're like, I physically can't run. And it's so crazy, Matt, because before every single race, I have a dream of going back to that moment and I can feel the heaviness in my legs. It is, I don't know. I don't know why, but it's, yeah, it's something that definitely took a long time for me to recover from, but also is like the fuel that feeds the fire, if that makes sense. So what were some of the things that you worked on to get yourself past it? Because obviously your mom being a health professional and knowing you was in a situation to make an individualized recommendation for you personally. So, um, you know, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to knock her for, for saying that obviously that if that comes from someone who doesn't know you and isn't a health professional, I'm sure it doesn't ring as true as opposed to someone who checks both of those boxes. But so all of a sudden you're put in this position where you're, you're starting to figure things out. What were you figuring out? Like when you say like it was going to make or break you and you had to come to terms with things, like what, what were the things that for you, um, that you really had to address to get past that point in the soccer field and become this, you know, high achieving athlete who now is like living a very healthy lifestyle and not only doing that, but kind of preaching it from uh, a teaching perspective. Yeah. Um, gosh, I think it was this I had to be okay with me. Like my parents always pushed my siblings and I to dare to be different and to not just go with what's comfortable because it is comfortable and adversity is good. Um, but sometimes I just wanted to fit in because it just felt easier, you know, and like easy was okay. Like I didn't always want to have the things happen that did. And I think my mom, I mean, I shouldn't say that my mom didn't help me because she did. She helped me immensely. Like she got me connected with the most beautiful, um, nutritionist that had actually helped patients at the, at the place that my mom worked at with eating disorder issues. Um, so I did have help, but it wasn't the traditional, Hey, let's put you in a hospital and hook you up to an IV and do all those standard procedures that may have happened had I gone to an actual treatment facility. Um, but I think I had to fight for me. Either my life was worth living for or it wasn't. And again, that was kind of my mom just, I think believed and had this faith. And I know it scared her to death because actually I don't need to like keep bringing on the drama, but my mom ended up having a stroke probably like two. Well, no, it was my first year in college. Actually, as she was dropping me off to go back to school, um, she had a lot of stress. She had a ton of stress. And I know I probably didn't help that, but she really wanted me to find me. And I think she just knew it was not going to ever be forced on me. Like I wasn't the kind of person that could be bought into Danielle and like loving this person, I had to live it, believe it, earn it. Um, 
And I do. And I'll never fault her for that. Like, I love her to pieces. And I think she is a beautiful, strong woman. Um, Yeah, again, I'm sure people are just like, oh, my gosh, (laughs) that's crazy. Well, 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 let's let's add context to it. Right. So you're you're in college. Right. You're in this position where, um, you know, while you are receiving assistance and you have a mom that you obviously care very much about, she cares for you and and all of that. When you were going through the process of dealing with disordered eating and, you know, and, and hopefully, you know, getting to the point where you're recovering and not just from a short term perspective, but from a long term perspective, what were some of the things that you not only in terms of like had to do from a mentality standpoint, like you said, like loving yourself and coming to the point where you were, you know, accepting yourself, but just, you know, just logistically, like what were some things that you did to set yourself on the correct path? I think, well, I know it's not even, I think, um, just now in hindsight, studying nutrition, it was resetting my brain chemistry. And it was like those little nudges in that direction. And finding that I had more stability mentally if I kept up. And I was a I'm a very dedicated person. I think that shows pretty pretty well in my like performance now. Um so if I was told by my nutritionist or if I was told by my parents, you will take these supplements, you will take this, I did it. I never skipped it. Um and now having a degree in dietetics and then studying my master's in holistic nutrition, I know without a shadow of a doubt, those things, those little things, or they might've seen little that I was doing was actually sustaining me and keeping me mentally going to help me kind of get over that curve so that I could start to heal. But it took time, you know, like it takes time to get you into that eating disorder. And then when you are as low as I was, it takes a long time to actually get out of the trenches, so to speak. And what was it like balancing all of that with like, you know, you're in college, right? I mean, you're, you're there, you're doing work and the pressure of going away to school and finding social outlets and all of that. What was it like when you have basically what amounts to like two full-time jobs? Like you're, you're trying to recover from something and work through something that can be debilitating and all-consuming. And you're also in college trying to do another thing, which is can be, again, all-consuming. I found my I found my way in college. I think that was the first time I felt like me again, especially in the learning environment, because I went to a Montessori elementary school. And then when I went to middle school and high school, it was more conventional or traditional. So I had a hard time because I wasn't ever really thrown into a group and, and been expected to keep up with everybody. I was kind of finding my own rhythm when I was little, and then I was thrown out of that. So in college, it was like throwing me back into that rhythm again. And I thrived. Like I was on the dean's list for good grades. Um, And I had professors. I had one professor in particular. She just took to me. And I think she found that she wanted to help me. And I needed that. In fact, she had me write a letter to myself and then mailed it to me. I think it was like 10 years ago. And I got it. It was so cool. It really... It's amazing how she thought how that would affect me and how much it would mean to me. And it did. It meant the world to me. Um, But I had so many people advocating for me to get better that there was no way to fail if I was looking for reasons to fail. There's always somebody backing me out of that corner. Um, But there's every possibility to succeed. And I just put my head down like I do now. I just, when I have a goal and being a mom, Matt, that was like my mantra. Like I 
I know it sounds silly, but that's what I was destined to do. Like I was destined to be those three little boys' moms. And so every night, that's what I'd say to myself, like, I want to be a mom. So that was kind of like my beacon. Wow. Well, hey, you really, you really saw that coming. Yeah. <laughs> here, you know, here you are. Um, so once you got to the point where um, you were strong enough physically and mentally and emotionally to start being more active and you know, kind of you're becoming the athlete again that you had been in the past and alpine skiing is no joke. I mean, that's, 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 a, that's obviously can be a very hard sport and, and, uh, and dangerous in certain ways and, you know, takes a lot of mental, physical and emotional strength. So once you got back to that, you know, or, or coming close to getting back to that certain level uh, in all three phases of your life, what were some of the things that you decided that you wanted to do from an activity standpoint? I, I was pretty bummed about the Alpine thing. I'm not going to lie. Cause I actually ended up ski instructing at the big sky in Montana. And I remember seeing like the ski team setting up and, and screwing in the gates. And I would just sit there and pine for that moment. Um, but I knew I needed to do something. And at that point in my eating disorder, I had never gone into it wanting to be thin but coming out of it, it was a control mechanism. So any sort of activity was what my brain needed in order to feel like I could still, at that point, function and eat what my you know my family needed me to eat and what I knew I needed to eat. So really, until I had Bodhi and actually into Trout, did I find that I didn't need to be active just to avoid certain things or to kind of still run away from this idea of, oh, hey, like I'm better, but I'm not. Um, yeah, I just activity at that point was still kind of holding on to the disorder, if that makes sense. Got it. Got it. So is it something that still affects you today? You know, I I would love to say it doesn't, but it does. And not in the way people are like, oh, she runs. She must, you know, she must be using that. If anything, it is like the only, the only thing I can't do if I'm not on top of it. Um, and that's the first thing I let go of because I care about those three little people that I brought into this world so much that like running or anything like that means nothing to me compared to like being around for them. Um, but the mental thing, you know, if I'm not careful, things creep up or stressors or things that I feel like I don't have control of, which is great right now. <laughs> um, it makes it, it makes it challenging, but I have such a great husband and Ryan knows me inside and out. And he, I can talk to him about anything and I can just tell him like, Hey, I'm struggling and he'll drop everything and be right there by my side. So yeah, there's the mental aspect, but um, I don't know. I would like to say it goes away, and I hear people that say it, but I, I don't. I never expect it to, but I really appreciate when it's not a dominant voice. Yeah, I, I, I've never experienced disordered eating, so I, I'm not speaking from a place of you know firsthand knowledge. But I would say the people who, especially on this show. Uh, who I've talked to who have dealt with that in the past have never framed it as that they got over it. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there's people that, that have out there who've done that, but I know the people who have, who I've talked to about this have always just like yourself talked about it as like, this is a, a kind of like, this is a process. There's no end point necessarily. 
that once you've gone, gone down this path, it's kind of, it can linger in the background and sometimes pop up every once in a while. Um, and it certainly is something that I can imagine, you know, that it's, it's something, again, that, not, not that my opinion matters here, uh, and it certainly doesn't, but I can, I can see how there would be certain points in your life where it, you'd be maybe more susceptible to falling into those sorts of behaviors or um, thinking patterns or emotional patterns that would lead to that sort of thing again. So it certainly is something that, especially now, like you mentioned, not having, especially if it's a, it's a control issue not necessarily a body image issue. The fact that there's so many things now that are out of our control. Um, I can see how that could be <laughs> certainly a triggering moment, right? I mean, it, I mean, has there ever been right now, just from a society perspective, like less control over things? Uh, I mean, we're having this conversation the day before a national election, oh, right? so, uh, which, which for a lot of people can be triggering in and of itself. Yeah. You know, I, it's, it'll, it'll always be a part of me. And like anything in my life, and if you know me and my friends, like they'll say, I'm just a perpetual optimist. And I really do look at my eating disorder as a tool in my toolbox in the grand scheme of life. Like it helps me cope. And it also helps me understand people that maybe wouldn't get the same kind of empathy or compassion from somebody who hasn't been there. Um, I don't, I don't want to ever glorify it. So it's really hard for me to talk about, it, especially like when I want to like promote like people to be active because I don't want them to now look at me and be like, well, hmm, she looks a little lighter today. Is this because? Because um, I definitely get that from my family, <laughs> you know, and I get it. I know that I've like scared them enough where they don't ever want me to go down that path again. Um, but it's it's who I am as far as like I went through it and I came out the other side and I'm pretty strong. And I'm also very aware of how um, vulnerable I am. And I kind of appreciate that vulnerability. I think that actually makes me a better runner than thinking that I'm super strong. Oh, interesting. Is it kind of like you view that as a way of like, all right, this is what I can build off of. And because you know that about yourself that you're able to, to move forward? Or is it like, if you had that other belief, then maybe... I don't know. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm trying to set this like dichotomy, and then within the question, I guess I don't really even need to. But what, what do you think is the reason for that? As opposed to like again, glad that you're kind of not the other way. Yeah. So I guess what I mean by that, it's kind of a twofold thing. One is just like we're not guaranteed. Like there's no, there's no magic ball or crystal ball that tells you like, okay, Matt, you're gonna live to be this old, and like this is how your life's gonna look. Because of that, because I've been to the brink, so to speak, or I've seen my, or dealt with my mortality pretty like front and center, I know that there's not a guarantee. Um, and I know that I put my body through a lot. And in the same turn, because of that, like I'm also really good at just pumping the brakes. Like if somebody's like, nope, you got to do this. I'm like, nope, but I don't. Because <laughs> even though I'm not guaranteed tomorrow, like I want this body to feel really good right now. And I care about it too much. Like I've asked a lot, so I'm going to have to say no thank you. But it also lets me not miss out on opportunities that maybe somebody be like, oh, I got next year. I'm like, well, do you? I don't know. I don't know if I have next year. So I'm going to do it right now. So is that kind of what you're referring to a little bit before when you said you want to glorify this? But is it because like on some level, because you've your body has experienced such an extreme 
that you know when you go to the well is nowhere near like the actual depths they can go? Um yeah, well no, uh no. <laughs> um I think it's because um I mean I don't want to come off dramatic. I was really sick, Matt. I mean I was I was really I shouldn't like I was studied by the University of Minnesota because I was so freakishly skinny and didn't shouldn't have been here. Shouldn't have been here. Um so I think I just like I I know that like this body has just it's been through the ringer and um I've worked really hard to bring it back. And so in that respect, like I respect what it's gone through, but I also go, well, you know what? I could have left the earth how many years ago, but I didn't. So I've got it right now and I'm going to take this opportunity right now. Like there's no better time than now. And if you're taking care of yourself and you're in a good position, then there's nothing holding me back. I definitely don't have a fear of what if because I just do. All right. So let's get off running for a second and let's move over to yoga because I've, I've, you know, I don't do yoga. I'm not going to act like I do, I've, I, but I've watched you, I've watched you teach yoga and I'm not doing it. I'm literally just sitting in a chair watching. Um, cause I just wanted to see how you approached it because, um, it's something that fascinates me. It's something that some runners swear by. It's something that other runners, like they just, they worry about it. Um, but beyond running, the thing that strikes me about it for you, and at least how you've talked about it publicly in the videos that I've seen, has been much more of like this whole, you know, you talked about holistic nutrition before, but much more with yoga, again, this holistic approach to your body, um, how it helps it, how it's this this feeling and, you know, self-respect that comes along with treating your body right uh, within within that sphere. So what brought you to the point where not only you were doing this with yoga, but you were, you know, really, you know, tr doing this practice that is all about, you know, pampering in a sense and nourishing your body uh, through physical movement. Yeah. I should just have you tell, <laughs> tell it. Um, I mean, that's it. I've exhausted all my adjectives. I got nothing else. I got nothing else. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, what you said, I, Running is such an intense sport and life is so intense on the body. Like as human beings, we are going at mock speed all the time. Even if we feel like we're not, even like right now with everybody being locked down, we think, oh my gosh, like I'm going crazy, but we're still putting so much on our bodies. If you think about like the sensory overload component, that in itself, our body doesn't know how to discern between different stressors. We just know everything is stress. So to have a balance or to have a place where we can counteract all of that, I think is a necessity. And for me and my lifestyle, it is, it is my saving grace. It is the thing that brings me back to my reason every day, day in and day out. Just whenever I'm feeling like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm spinning out of control. If I teach a yoga class or if I sit down, and even just like think about it or go through the process of like what I want to do, posting on Instagram or talking through my platform on Facebook for yoga, it really calms me. And it gives me that time to breathe and go, okay, like none of that other stuff really matters. Like it's fun, but it's fluff. The only thing that matters is this person sitting in this moment right here. And the mat helps you with that. 
that's why I like yoga because it helps people remove all the clutter, all of the confusion and chaos and stressors of life. And it doesn't happen. It's not just like a magic pill that you take and then you're good to go, but it gives you an hour or 20 minutes or even 15 seconds of just you time. That's huge. All right. Now I know all of these are, are not siloed. So this question on his face is a little ridiculous, but for you, does yoga, if you had to like make a pie chart in terms of yoga's impact on you, how much is it physical? How much is mental? How much is emotional? And I know that all of these are interrelated, but if you had to make a pie chart and put like little amounts into each bucket, how much, you know, what, what would you do? Yeah. Um, I, oh, I think emotionally and mentally that spiritual component, because I'm not the most religious of persons. And again, I hope I don't offend people because I think everybody is awesome, whatever they choose, but it has connected me in a way that has helped ground me. So I think on the pie chart, I would give that the biggest chunk, like 90%. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. And then physically, all you really need is that 10% if you've got the other components on board. It's kind of like running if you think about it. Like it's 90% mental and 10% physical or maybe I have it switched around. But I think we put so much emphasis on being bendy and flexible and it has like nothing to do with that for me. Like it has more to do with the emotional and mental and Again, it's not a religion for me, but it like connects me to myself, like who I am fundamentally. Maybe for some people it's science, so it's a cellular level, or if you know you're faith based, it helps connect you to like people I know they do like Christian based yoga. So um yeah, it's the mental and emotional that gets the big part. Now, did you feel like you needed to get past a certain point from a physical perspective to to really unlock the mental, emotional, spiritual side? Like, did you have to like, but I say that, I mean, like, say like, I'm putting myself in your shoes, right? I'm, I'm also, I'm, I'm taking yoga for the first time, right? I'm saying I'm doing it for six months. There's going to be, there's obviously going to be plenty of poses that are going to be presented to me that I'm going to have trouble with either getting into or maintaining for a certain, for a certain amount of time. Whereas an experienced person wouldn't necessarily have that issue. Do you feel like you have to cross some sort of Rubicon to get to the mental and emotional side, or does that come come baked right away? I think it's the opposite. I think the people that come in that don't have any experience or feel like they are the like least likely person that would succeed in yoga are going to benefit the most mentally and emotionally because you let go of that physical thing. I used to be really bendy and flexible. And that was a priority of mine. And when I let that go or didn't have a choice, because when I was pregnant with Finn, I physically couldn't do a lot with him. I stepped into that other role. And I realized that I was doing a disservice to future students if I expected everybody to show up on their mat and to be able to do the exact same pose the exact same way. Because that's putting everybody in 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 this box that not everybody's going to fit into. So as a teacher, I'm only maybe reaching one person out of class of 30, where if I approached it from like, everybody can do yoga, and we're going to look at it from all perspectives, not just the physical one, 
then maybe I reach 27, hopefully all 30, and everybody leaves going, okay, I got what I paid for. And that's huge because it isn't my class. And it's, you know, that's, that's what I want. I don't want anybody to ever feel like I taught to a 20-year-old girl because <laughs> let's face it, they're the only ones that I know I can do all those crazy stuff. Well, that's good to know because I'm certainly not in that realm either. <laughs> <laughs> Really? Um, <laughs> no, it's true. Got to be honest. I know it's surprising <laughs> to everybody else there, out there listening. Um, now, bringing it back to running a little bit, how, if any, um, how much of an impact, if any, do you feel like it has on your running? Oh, it's got a ton. It's got a ton. In fact, I used to fight with my like past coach about this because you'd be like, oh, yoga is, you know, oh, it's fluff stuff, you know, and oh, it's, you know, a week before the race. Now you can do yoga. And I'm like, oh, okay, sure. Uh, but body mechanics wise and just being aware of how your body moves and feels and even calming yourself like with breath work, it's great. Like I went to the starting line and I was calm and I was able to, you know, prepare myself and not feel like I was gassed out before I even started where I'd have people like hyperventilating. And I knew that if they just knew how to slow their breath down, they'd feel better. And even in races, like I'll be the person, if you ever see me in a race, I'll be talking the whole way through. It doesn't matter if I'm running 10 minute miles or five minute miles. I will Didn't you still say talk. like you were shy? <laughs> this is like the first thing that you said on this podcast. It is until I meet that one person. Like when I ran, ran grandmas with my current PR, I met this really cool college student and him and I talked for like 11 of the last miles. Like we were, we were about the same pace and he was going to finish ahead of me. And I was like, Hey, great. Like, let's just talk. So he told me about going through physical therapy school. People were like passing him, and I could tell some people were like, Oh my God, if those people would just shut up, like this is pissing me off. And him and I are just do, 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 like the whole time. And I was so appreciative, but Again, I might just, that might just be me. I mean, I don't want to give yoga too much credit, but like everybody should do yoga. So if you like aspire to be able to talk through a five minute mile, you should try yoga. Cause I think, <laughs> I think in a really crazy way, it has helped me. It's given me the ability to like breathe into places that I was like, oh, I'm such a shallow breather. Like I need to think about the breath encompassing more than just my, my chest. So yeah, I think it's really helped me. All right. So you mentioned again, I don't I don't know who your previous coach was, but I've also seen you um talk about a previous coach in the past and about how like the training methods didn't quite jibe with what you were hoping to do. So what were some of the things that you've learned personally about um how you need to train um from an individualistic perspective? Not only from a, you know, in terms of your running, but also in terms of just the holistic approach to being a better athlete, things that you've learned over the course of time that maybe have been counter to what you have received uh, from a guidance perspective. I think, and I have to say this, there's like no bad coach out there, only just bad relationships between the the two people that are involved. Um, I am such a people pleaser. That is another thing. Like I will do anything. If you tell me, I will make it happen. Like I remember I had a 22 mile run and it was supposed to be at a seven minute pace or something. And I couldn't leave my kids at home. They're just something to come up. I think my husband had the flu, so he couldn't watch the kids. So I loaded them up in the double stroller and I did all 22 miles at a seven minute pace. Like I would be damned if I didn't finish what I was That's told like to do. That's like harder than a marathon. <laughs> 
Yeah, trust me. Him and I were like, it's like, Danielle, seriously. I mean, you could have told me. I'm like, but I couldn't because it was last minute and I didn't want to make an excuse. So really, it was like me getting in my own way with certain individuals. But I also found that being a mom and being a mother runner and having the lifestyle that I chose it wasn't something that I wanted to negate. It wasn't something that I wanted to, um, I, I didn't want to make, make it an excuse. I wanted to use it. I mean, I didn't want to, I guess, how can I put it? It was my life. I couldn't wish it away. I didn't want to wish it away. And I was also breastfeeding. So like I was doing all these crazy things that didn't require more calories just from running. And my body it needed an intuition that I didn't have from a coach and I didn't know how to explain it without feeling like I was like putting too much on that person. I was like, oh my gosh, like if I have to tell him <laughs> something again about breastfeeding, I feel like I'm going to ruin his whole entire life. Um, so I think it was just me and just not finding that that voice for myself and just wanting to please so badly and trying to fit that almost like professional athlete mold. And there was no way I could live that life. Like I was a mom of three kids, a brand new baby. My dad had just passed away. So I was dealing with that. And like, I was putting expectations on myself that should never have been there. And with that being said, is that something that is just part of your being? At this point, I mean, you've kind of intimated those things at various points in this conversation. Do you feel like that that the things that you just mentioned in that answer, that are those things that are changeable for you or are those things that you realize about yourself that you have to you have to change your environment to fit and to leave space for those characteristics? I think I had to step back and again, accept where I was at. Like I wanted to be all those things and I knew I could get there, but I had to get there on my terms and it had to look different. And I couldn't involve, like it had, like I'm in that point, I had to go inward again. Like it was like when I was recovering from my eating disorder, like I really, I couldn't involve any more people because at that point I was juggling so much. I felt bad <laughs> bringing another person into the circus but I still didn't let go of that goal. So again, I'm a very ambitious, goal-oriented person, but I'm okay with adapting. Like I'm okay with working around things or being like, hey, maybe it's not going to happen right now. Like I could wait and that's okay, but I'm not going to give up on that. Like it's there. I'll do the things I can to get there, but I also have to be realistic, especially recovering from like a cesarean or, you know, I couldn't just take six weeks off. And I did, which was insanity. <laughs> I was like ready to run a sub three marathon after five months of a cesarean, like just like lunacy. Like who does that? And to put those ex expectations on myself. And I would never do that to another female runner. Like I see all these beautiful, wonderful postpartum moms out there running crazy, amazing times and doing so well. But I'm always like that voice of like, hey, you know, it's okay if you want to stay home and snuggle longer. Because I wish I would have done that. It's like hindsight is beautiful. Okay. Speaking of hindsight, Grandma's Marathon, you mentioned it before, you're chatting it up, having a grand <laughs> old time, yeah. last 11 miles. Um and you ran up running, was it 247? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you run 247. Incredible race, right? I mean, that is a absolutely magnificent time. And nothing but kudos to you. We mentioned earlier that you did have 
goals of getting an OTQ. You ran 247 in that race. When that happened, knowing how you approached it in terms of like the, again, I don't know if it's a positive or negative, but if I feel like races that I've run to the limit in, I know how I felt when I've run to the limit and I'm not chatting during it. So when you look back on that moment and you say, okay, you know, I guess right after that race, you run 247. I saw in an article uh, that you read, that you, you, you put together, um, again, with someone who I know very well, you, you did this for running down the dream who, um, you know, this is something that I've chronicled on this podcast before that you had to lose a heart rate of 135 during yeah. that race. So obviously you had a lot of gas in the tank that, that race happens. You still have plenty of time until, uh, the Olympic trials, you know, not years and years, but you have plenty of time at that point. When you finished that race, were you thinking more of like, I can't wait to do this again and I'm going to blow this out of the water? Or did you feel like, oh man, like I probably could have run that faster. Like how did you approach that experience? Oh man, I was just elated because I went into that race just wanting a sub 250, not just like that's oh, wow. huge. That's huge. Like I wanted, that was our goal. That was what my coach and I had talked about. So when I ran almost a three minute, um, negative split in that race, like obviously I, we both kind of go, Oh, okay. <laughs> I could have done more. Um, but again, he was really good at knowing, like, I'd never like to see myself as better than I thought I was. So like, I'd always downplay everything to the point where probably it was hurting me in that respect. Um, but I, I, I finished smiling and I was excited. I was, I was ready to do more, but I was completely content with right where I was at. I mean, I felt so bad. There was women bawling at the finish line and I was <laughs> crying because I was so happy. That's such a like wonderful perspective, and I appreciate you. I appreciate you saying that. And again, if you you have a goal of a two fifty, and all of a sudden you're running three minutes faster, like why wouldn't you be excited? And I think it's so wonderful that you had that positive approach. Um, you know, again, you're also a goal driven person, right? I mean, I, I'm sure there were probably moments in your life where you could have been like that other person that you mentioned at the finish line, where like you had this goal, you didn't achieve it. Um, but with that said, here you are, you ran a 247, you had gas in the tank. Right? <laughs> this is a, what, what a wonderful sign that is. When you had that experience and you had a, some moment and your coach had a moment to think about like, wow, what does this mean? When did like, all right, like, I really want to go for this. When did that moment occur? Cause I know that you chronicled it later on in the year, but what was it like for you internally getting to the point where you're like, you all of a sudden are setting this whole new goal that not only has a time level, like obviously 250 is a goal, but it's again, it's just an arbitrary number. Whereas getting to getting sub 245 isn't arbitrary, right? There, There's, you know, all of a sudden you're, there's a whole domino effect that happens after that number in terms of the, the, the Olympic trials. So what was that like for you in terms of adjusting to this new goal and then not only having a new goal, but having a, uh, a time limit attached to it in terms of the schedule? Yeah. So I had had that goal prior to grandma's, but I was training with um, a friend that lives here in North Dakota who actually, um, my coach begged me to hook up the two of them. And so now they're training together. Um, but I was training with her schedule in mind and her goals in mind. And that was my fault for not putting on the brakes more because again, I wasn't in the same place that she was. And because of me not being more vocal and advocating for myself, I went after that goal too fast. 
for me. Um, so I had already accepted that that was something I was wanting to do. Um, and grandma's was just kind of like a, Hey, if I had just stopped, I could have done it, but you know what? I'm really good with 247. Um, and actually ended up leaving that relationship with that coach and taking on a new coach. And, um, she was phenomenal. She was exactly what I needed. She was a mom. And again, there's no bad coach, but like this relationship just worked. So I kind of told her what my goal was and, you know, how everything gone. And we were hitting the ground running, literally. Um, yeah. And I, there was no fear of failure because if I was trying, that's really all that mattered. All right. So what was the situation after that? Like you see, also, you guys are you and your new coach, and I'd love for you to share who that is. Um, you're working together. What was that process in terms of not only what you wanted to do from a training perspective, but the races that you then identified to get you, you know, ready for February potentially? Yeah. So actually, it's Lauren Flores, and um, Lauren, she, of course, yeah, <laughs> friend of yeah. the show, friend of mine. Yeah, I know she's she's amazing. I can't say enough great things about her. Um, she actually took my training and just like turned it upside down. And it was, I, I am such a trusting person. And again, like you tell me what to do, I'll do it. So it really wasn't earth shattering for me. Um, and I guess the best thing that I got from all of that is like, I could still get the same results with less abuse on my body. So we really took down the mileage and we focused more on like the quality of runs versus quantity. And uh, yeah, my goal was to run the trial qualifier at CIM. So that was, that's where we were headed. Um, but yeah. So what exactly did that look like in terms of like, what was the mileage decrease and what, from a quality perspective, what was the new you know, what, what were the new weeks and months looking like uh, from a quality session standpoint? And again, and again, how were you doing these runs? Because we already talked about the schedule. Or did, how many of these <laughs> runs came on the treadmill? Now, that's like five questions baked into one. So if you just <laughs> wouldn't mind just comparing and contrasting, because obviously like the prior way worked really well, right? And you got to 247 with a 135 heart rate, right? Off of like spending a lot of time in your life not being a runner. So your time with Lauren, again, I'm sure that was also extremely positive. So what was the the comparing and contrasting um, how those schedules and workouts looked? I think I still, I mean, I'm a big believer that fitness builds upon itself. So even if you take time off, your body still is more fit than it was if you ever, if you, before you ever started doing anything. So I think I was still building from the momentum that I had already had started or had been working on with the prior coach. And again, he really did set me up like I would not be able to negative split without that past coaching experience. Um, but she, again, took down the miles. So that really helped. And I was able to take them out in the stroller without feeling like, oh, my gosh, I have to do, a, you know, four double runs in a week or something insane like that, where, you know, it's just really hard. My kids are like, OK, we're going the stroller again. Or my boys were old enough to bike. So there's only so many bike rides they wanted to do before they, you know, told me to go fly a kite. Um, and she was really understanding about treadmills. That was really helpful. I had had so much guilt around having to do workouts on treadmills. And she was like, Hey, you're a mom. You got to do what you got to do. Um, that really helped. Yeah. That's, I mean, and Lauren knows this. I mean, she's a mom. 
she's working hard. You know, she's coaching. She's doing all the stuff. She's you know a wonderful podcaster and a great person as well. So I can see how that would be such a good fit. That's for sure. All right. So what's the schedule like? All right. You finish grandma's. You're like, all right, I can do this. Right. You got the new plan. You're working hard. You're, you're fitting everything around your lifestyle and you're making it work around your family instead of making your family always bending around your your training needs. I'm not going to say like one's better than the other, but you have this new approach. You're, you're, you're making it work. What was the schedule like in terms of getting you to Atlanta? Because a lot of people approach this very differently in terms of the races they identified. You talked about CIM, but then a lot of people also like, hey, you know, like if I don't get it at this marathon, I want to give more enough space for this other marathon that can get me there. So what was that? Just looking at the calendar, how did you plan that out? Oh my gosh. Well, I think she gave me some time before we even started training together. She's like, hey, like, I just want you to like wrap things up where you're at and feel really good. She was always an advocate of never having me leave a relationship feeling like, oh man, I didn't do what I needed to do. And like, I really did feel so indebted to this other person and, and really like felt like a friendship had been made from it. So it was hard. Like you almost felt like you were losing a friend. Um, but once that, like, I think it was about a month that she was like, Hey, just do your thing. Relax. We just literally jumped into it. And I told her, cause my focus is more on finishing stronger. I've always struggled with the latter end of the marathon and envied the people that could finish their last mile the fastest. And that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to finish strong and finish fast. And we made sure the ex or the workouts were more apt to push me in that direction. So I had things that I never had before where I was doing five miles at a pace and then I'd go up about 15 seconds per mile. And then by the end, I was running, you know, slightly faster than I would for five miles than my marathon goal pace or goal marathon pace. And that really got me excited because I was getting those workouts, things that I never thought I could do. And I was hitting them hard and strong. That's awesome. That is awesome. So when it came to getting the OTQ, mm -hmm. let's talk about like, you know, trying to get that goal you know, working as hard as you can to get there. And then just from, from a race perspective, once you got to the point where like, you're like, all right, this is the race we're going to do it in, um, how you felt going in? I felt really good. I mean, I was nervous. I had the two days prior, because I went to Sacramento by myself. I told my husband, this is so like dramatic, but I was like, I don't want to fail and have everybody come out. And that's just a really expensive trip. And traveling with three kids is stressful enough. But to do that and then come home with a heartbroken mom, like, let's just not even do that. So I went by myself. My husband stayed at home with the boys and his mom came to help. And I remember like I was having panic attacks. And then the night before, I just had this moment of like, okay, you know what? I've done the work the hay is in the barn. It's either going to work or it isn't. But if I sit here worrying about it, then I'm already setting myself up for failure. So I went into the finish or starting line feeling really good. And I met so many people there. Like I actually ran into Tommy Rives. He was in the hotel lobby where I was waiting for the bus to take me to the expo. And him and I like talked for a good five to 10 minutes about our goals. And he was trying to go for the Olympic trial qualifying time as well. And so like feel like you could have a conversation with somebody that you just held in such high regard and be like, oh, hey, we're going after the same thing was so cool. And then Janae from Hungry Runner, her and I had talked and then we actually met each other at the starting line. So like we had talked about, oh, hey, we have the same goals. So I had like all these people just 
I don't know. I felt this energy and this like camaraderie that I knew that no matter what, we were all in this and we were working together. And I, I don't know. I felt really good. I was completely okay with however things would turn out. All right. So how did it turn out? It turned out. <laughs> you know what? Actually, I got another sub 250 out of my body. And again, I finished around a lot of women in tears and I was heartbroken for them. And I was standing there like a complete idiot because I didn't have anybody to greet me at the end. And I was just so happy. I was so happy that I was able to do what I did. And I really mean that. Again, to know what I've asked my body to do and then to come out the other side and to run a killer time with three kids does not, that does not, that is something I'm very aware of that I don't think is, um, it should be taken lightly. I was really excited. And as a self-described goal-oriented person, where did you have to go mentally in, not in that race or even in the weeks leading up to that, but just like in the years leading up to that, to get to the point where you would be not only okay, but like perfectly fine and content with that result, considering the goal and considering how you had been this goal-oriented person and this hard driver and people pleaser leading up to all of this? Yeah. I I think I've always like, even though I've been goal-oriented, I really have just been totally okay with just getting out there and giving it my best. And I have my dad and my mom to think, for that. Like they have just instilled in me, like if you work really hard and you give it 150%, how can you walk away with your head hung? There's just no way. Like you've done everything you can and there's no reason you should feel like you failed. That being said, I'm a big believer that failure is okay. And like there are winners and losers. So yeah, I did lose the chance to go to the Olympic trials and I was sad. I mean, I... Definitely. I think I even posted just a picture of me like in tears because you do work really stinking hard and you, well, I can't say you, I juggled around my family. I never made them feel like they weren't the priority and that was my choice. And again, it's not to say that somebody who doesn't do that is wrong. It's just something I felt so strong about. I was like, okay, I am going to make sure that I make this work being in the position that I am. And to fall short, it sucked. That is like definitely a feeling I felt, but it lasted two minutes compared to the happiness that I feel and still feel. All right. Let's talk about a very different goal. Yeah. Last month, you started doing Run Distober, which is an insane thing <laughs> that Deslin <laughs> put on, which was basically run one mile Run one mile per day for whatever day of the month it is. So (laughs) October 1st, you run one mile. On October 2nd, you run two miles. Sounds easy. Right. So you get to that third and fourth (laughs) week of the month. um, And all of a sudden, it's a whole totally different world. Um, First of all, I guess, why was this something you wanted to take on? And where were you mentally and physically at the beginning of this month? Um, that you know, led you to want to, you know, kind of, I guess, this was all kind of a spontaneous thing. Maybe it was spontaneous to me. I didn't see a lot of the buildup for this. So no. <laughs> where, where were you mentally, physically to be like, yes, that's what I want to do? 
So it literally happened over a Marco Polo conversation with a running friend of mine. She was telling me that she was going to do this thing. Des Linden was putting it on. Do I want to do it? And we could split the miles if it got too much. And I, of course, was like, sure. Didn't really put any thought into it, but was like really excited to have a goal that didn't involve time to just put the miles in. I was like, sure. Got it. Great. We'll split the miles if it gets too hard. Um, so having an out was like really comforting to me too. Um, and yes, I, you know, like I definitely should have thought about it more, but I'd done enough mileage or higher mileage weeks leading up to it that I felt comfortable, even though I didn't know. Matt, I really never calculated how many miles I'd be running the last week, which was stupidity, but I don't know. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> this is like the, the difference between you and me. Cause when I, I read that, <laughs> the first thing I did was like, wait, is this a 30 or 31 day month? Like that was like the first that was like the first question I asked. It wasn't like, oh, how do I do this? Or is Des doing this? Or like who else is up to this? You know, it was much more like, whoa, how many days are in October? And then just like working <laughs> back from there. I had a friend of mine, um, Vanessa Wolf, who's a, you know, who's an unbelievable runner, just like yourself, um, who's who's doing it too. And she sent me I, I saw her up to it. I sent her message like, what's that last week like? going to be like she's like i don't i'm not even doing the math i don't even want to know i'm just trying to survive week three right now oh man did she did she survive it um you know just like you she has three kids um and it got to the point where i think it just got to like it just it just became too much of a burden so i think uh i think mid midway through week three again like when you say week three, that that minimizes. It. I think it was like I think it was like mile day twenty two or twenty three. Put amazing. in that perspective, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it was it was simply amazing. <laughs> um, where she was like, "All right, I'm done. <laughs> I'm out of here." Again, the the fact that anyone could get there and at all is amazing to me. Um, never mind people getting into the fourth week. Never mind you completing it, which is yeah. a completely different perspective. <laughs> um, you know, each, you know, basically, like once someone gets into like even like past day ten, I'm like, whoa, whoa, hey now, <laughs> you know, day ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Like that's a, that's a huge week. So prior to run Dustover, are you aware of how like your your biggest mileage week or month was prior to this? Yeah. So my biggest mileage, and again, I was playing with mileage. Um, my boys do karate. So in the afternoon, I would like double up on the days that they had karate in the evenings because you're not allowed to be in the studio. So I went and pushed my youngest in the stroller. So I was tacking on a lot of double days. Um, and I think I probably got close to 120 miles during a couple of weeks. So I had really... I had put some substantial miles on my legs and felt really good doing it. Not a lot of wear and tear, which was shocking. But I also wasn't going fast. There was no speed work. There was no workouts. It was just a metronome, essentially. You just set it and went, and you never wavered from that. Um, so I wasn't afraid, but again, I never calculated until a friend of mine um, had said, hey, do you know that you're running like 200 miles last week? <laughs> like, oh. Sure. You know, at that point, it's like infinity. How do you comprehend that in your mind? Like 200 as a runner, you're like, I can't even physically think about that. So I'm just going to do as much as I can. And if I get there, great. And if I don't, I mean, what a great accomplishment. Oh, my goodness. I mean, obviously. So what was what was your highest, highest mileage week prior to this endeavor? So yeah, that was 120. 
Okay, so you had to, you had done 120 prior to this. Okay. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Um, I wasn't sure if you were referencing <laughs> what you were doing during this. Okay. So you had done that, which, I mean, that's, that's an insane, that's, I mean, my God, like, I mean, <laughs> half of that is a big mileage week for a lot of people. The vast majority of runners, the vast majority of people listening to this, if they did a 60 mile week, they'd be like, oh my God. Hey, I'm there lot. too. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so that, so to you, but you had done a considerable amount with that said you're basically almost doubling your biggest week ever to do the last week. So let's dive into this last week, last okay. 10 days, right? Day 20 to 31, uh, I guess 11 day span technically. So you get to that point. How tired are you going into day 20? You're, I don't know if you'll hate me for saying this, but not even a little bit. I really, Not even a little bit. Not How even a dare bit. you? Person with three <laughs> kids, teaching them all at home i mean all of us parents are dealing with learning you know distance learning teaching <laughs> kids at home i'm t i want to take like a 1 15 p.m nap every day dealing with that stuff you're sitting here running hundreds of miles a week and you're just killing it yeah no and okay maybe maybe i'm approaching this question um not in the right direction yes i was tired after um like i would do the run i always did the chunk of it before eight o'clock before my kids got up and then we would do breakfast and I would do a couple of lessons with both kids. And then I'd be like, okay, I'm going to ask Alexa to set the alarm for 25 minutes. And I'm just going to lay down and close my eyes. Every day I did that. And then I would wake up, do another lesson. And then I'd go down and I'd always finish the rest of my miles before noon. So every single day I was finished before noon. This is not a luxury everybody can have. I realize that this is like very spoiled of me to have this ability to get those miles in. But then I had the rest of the day to put my legs up and to like take it easy and drink a lot of electrolytes and, and eat really nourishing foods. And, you know, like the kids, we would get in my bed and I do homeschooling from the bed with them. And, you know, like I'd sit in my car while they're in karate. So I was doing a lot of sitting when I wasn't running during that time. Okay. So last week you have to do basically a marathon slash ultra marathon every day. Yeah. <laughs> so you talked about how you've handled the doubles, right? You got the kids in karate, you're making that work. You talked earlier about what you're doing from a sleep perspective. What other things that were you doing to ensure that your body could handle that wild 200 plus mile week at the end, considering that the week you did just before that was extremely taxing as well, right? Uh, so what, what were, besides, again, the sleep and doing the doubles, what else were you trying to do to make sure that everything was still intact the whole time? Um, I don't think there's like this magic thing that I did. It was things that I've done for years before leading up to this. And I think just really like making my health a priority for a long time was the golden ticket that gave me the ability to ride through this relatively smoothly. I, I mean, I took, I took rest really to like the nth degree more than my husband ever thought I would. He'd be like, Oh my gosh, like this is crazy. Now, on the other hand, he's building a pergola outside and I was like squatting for two hours straight one day, screwing in floorboards on the deck. So it wasn't like I wasn't doing silly things that I shouldn't have been doing. Um, but I 
think it's kind of like everything that I've been doing for a very long time to make sure that I'm as healthy as I can be to tackle these big things came together when it should. Once you finished it, how did it stack up with some other achievements that you've had in your life? I think I'm still in disbelief about it. I have my son, Bodhi. Bodhi's actually the one. So Monday was the marathon day, 26. And my youngest had actually split open his eyebrow. So we were in the ER for six hours waiting for stitches. And I was tired. I was like, forget it. Today's going to be a rest day. And we had all slept in. My husband stayed home just because we were all in rough shape. And Bodhi got up and he's like, hey, mom, did you do your miles? And I told him, no, no, no I'm not going to do it. He's like, no, you've got to do it. You've gotten this far. So he's like, come on, let's do it. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure Finn doesn't split his eyebrow, eyebrow open again. And, and you just do it, mom. <laughs> so, I mean, having him be my little cheerleader and reminding me like, wow, you're amazing. I can't believe you did this. Or I'd be like, oh, I feel so lazy today. He's like, how can you say you're lazy? You've <laughs> 27 miles. Like you're being silly. Um, I just, those kind of things. They just keep me like, oh yeah. Cause I'm probably like trying to be humble to a fault. I'm not trying to be, I just really don't think about those things as accomplishments. But then when I step back and have people like, hey, I could never do that. I could never drive that far in a month, <laughs> let alone run that. I'm like, oh yeah, no, that was pretty awesome. So I think I'm still kind of in disbelief that it happened. Now, this was a unique situation because it basically was a spontaneous you know, decision to tackle an unbelievable goal. With all of that being said, considering the amount of time you've had to consider other goals and other races that have you know come and gone and been canceled and postponed and all of those things, um, ever since last year at this time when you were you know staring down CIM and hoping for the best, what does the short-term, long-term future for you hold from a goals perspective? So I've already tackled the, like I've already not tackled, I've already entertained the idea of ultra marathoning. I ran Bighorn, which was a 50K a couple of years ago and ended up winning the race. Like never wanted to do anything but finish it. And then lo and behold, I like set the course record. It was like a day that you don't forget. You're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Um, so I'd always loved the idea of ultra running and this is just like a gentle nudge or more like a shove in that direction because I see so much more longevity for me physically and emotionally in that versus always racing the clock. Right. And when you think about those goals from an ultra marathon perspective, do you then view it as just like this extended you know, build up to maybe getting to like 100 milers and things like that in terms of like how far can you go? Is that the ultimate thing in terms of like really distancing yourself from the clock? Is it just like how far and how long can I push my body? Yeah. I mean, I don't think I'll ever be Courtney DeWalt or anything to that effect. Uh, gosh, because she's amazing. I mean, I, yeah, I, I think I just, I really like the idea of running for the long haul. And I see trail running and ultras as this outlet to get out there and do two things that I love running and just being in the great outdoors. And yeah, a hundred miles is on my radar for sure. I, 
I have a friend who is an ultra marathoning or not. Well, she's an ultra coach. Um, and she lives out in Germany right now. And Sarah's always pushing me. She's always like, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and pace you for some of those miles. And just thinking about getting to spend that time with her again, you know, is, is, it gives me enough motivation to want to go after the hundred miles. And I feel like maybe I got a taste of what it would like to go through a hundred mile race within the 500 that I did this last month, because there's definitely like high moments and a lot of like low what the hell am I doing? Like, I can't believe I'm up at four o'clock again in the morning doing this. And then I have my kids all day. Um, but I never wavered from what I wanted. And it was never like, okay, you know, this just seems too far reaching. It was just like, you know what? Just these miles, I got to get through these miles. And then I'm one step closer. And I feel like you have to have that mentality. Danielle, I love it. You are such an amazing person. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been an absolute pleasure to talk about all of these things with you. Oh, thank you, Matt, for having me. It's been a long time of me dreaming and hoping. So thank you for sitting down with me. Danielle, thank you so much for listening. Also, big shout out to our sponsors, Prevenex and Paper Trails, Dreaming, Paper Trails Greeting Company. I always miss that for a second. I always say Paper Trails Treating Company by mistake. Paper Trails Greeting Company. Uh, thank you so much. I love this conversation. I love these sponsors. This is why I enjoy this podcast so much, working with companies that I fully believe in to talk to people that I am so inspired by. So thank you so much for listening. If you listened to last week's episode, Ramblings on the Run with Allie Feller, then you may have heard me talk a little bit about the upcoming Rambling Runner virtual summit. I can't wait for this. And I can't wait to share it with you. The people who are going to be speaking at this are the best people in running, talking about very specific topics affecting you, dedicated amateur runners to help you have the best running year of your life in 2021. That's the goal. That's the mission. And I know that we can help you do just that. So we're going to be announcing exactly what's happening with that summit on November 23rd. I cannot wait to do just that. So in the meantime, have a wonderful day and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.